It's important for us to remember what a precious treasure God's word is. It is the way, uh, the unique way that he has revealed himself and his, his son and his salvation. And so it is a precious, precious treasure. Let's take up that precious treasure. And let me have you turn to Psalm 113. Psalm 113 this morning. A short psalm, and we'll, we'll read the whole psalm this morning. This is God's precious word uh, to us, and let us hold it as precious as we hear it this morning. Psalm 113. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations, and his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and on and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your wonderful word this morning, and we pray that as we think for a few moments upon these words that you have given, uh, we, we pray that you would bless us as we think on these things. We pray you would bless he who preaches and we who hear. And may you be glorified through it. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. This psalm that we just read and the psalm that we're going to be considering this morning for a few moments occupies a special place in the Psalter. It is a part of, in fact, it is the first part of what is called the Egyptian Hallel. And a Hallel is a book of praise. And this particular portion of the book of Psalms runs from Psalm 113 to Psalm 118. And these Psalms in this, this Egyptian Hallel constituted a songbook that was used during many of the festivals of Israel, and particularly in the celebration of the Passover. There were several places in the Passover celebration when a, a song was to be sung, and it was one of these psalms. And it was likely, and certainly one of these psalms that the New Testament refers to, that when Jesus met with his disciples in that upper room on that last night before his crucifixion, when the scripture says that they sang a hymn and went out, it would have been one of these hymns, one of these psalms. And Psalm 113 is very appropriate as the beginning of this short section of the book of Psalms because it begins in the Hebrew with two Hebrew words, hallelujah. Uh, now first we need to take 
note of those words. Hallelujah means praise. And Yah is a shortened form of Yahweh. So it is praise the Lord. Praise God. Praise the covenant God. Also important as we get started here is to to think about the form of that first word. That is, what is the function of this opening uh, phrase in this psalm? You know, when we think of the term praise the Lord today, we usually think of it as an exclamation, an exclamation of, of some sort. And even when we see it in this passage this morning, we tend to think of it as that, as an, an outburst of joy from the psalmist, a joyful um, proclamation. And we do that today when we're happy about the way something has, has turned out or the, something that, that has gone on and we suspect Uh, rightly so, that God has done it for us or has given it to us, we likely exclaim, well, praise the Lord. Or in our culture where everything has to be reduced to initials, people say PTL. But verse 1, where it says praise the Lord, verse 9, where it says again praise the Lord, It's more than just an exclamation. The way that the phrase is is used here, the way that it's usually used in the Scripture, is that it is a command. It's an imperative. Praise the Lord. Do that. You, praise the Lord. You, praise the Lord. It's a command for us to do something. And the thing that we are commanded to do is to praise, to praise the Lord. What does that mean? What does it mean to praise God? Well, briefly, to praise uh, or praise is words or deeds that exalt someone or honor someone. It is an act of expressing admiration or approval. Or even more, uh, particularly, it means to celebrate, to boast in, to rejoice, or to bless. And that's what we are commanded to do. And here they and we are commanded to praise the Lord, to praise Yahweh, to praise our covenant God. Do things, the psalmist is saying, that exalt or honor God. Celebrate. Him. Rejoice in Him and express that rejoicing, express that jubilation, express that thankfulness to God. And here it is specifically spoken to people, God's people. But that's not the only place in Scripture that talks about it. It's not the only thing that is told to praise the Lord. Listen to this. We find really that all living things, that all created things, are told to praise the Lord. In Psalm 148, listen to these words. It says, praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his host. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. 
Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created, and he established them forever and ever. He gave a decree and it shall not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures, and all deeps, fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind fulfilling his words, mountains and hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds. Praise the Lord. And the psalm then goes on to give that same charge to the kings of the earth and all people, young men and maidens, old men and children. As to Psalm 113 here, it focuses on we who are servants of the Lord. Praise the Lord, it says. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Now certainly there is something different in the way that the shining stars, the moon, praise the Lord. They praise the Lord by doing what God has called them to do. So much so that Psalm 19 says that the creation cries out concerning God. Now we find praise ascribed or offered to God in various ways in the Scripture, but the most common for us is with our voices. And thus we are commanded in Scripture in Psalm 51 and Psalm 145 to speak forth praise to God. We are called to sing praises to Him we read from First Chronicles 16 this morning in our call to worship that said that we are to sing praises to him. Psalm 81, Psalm 95 say that we are to shout aloud in praise to God. We are to express these things through our voice. We also hear of praising God on musical instruments. In the climax of the Psalter, in the final psalm, Psalm 150, we have a crescendo, as it were, of, a, of the exhortation to praise God. It says, praise the Lord, praise God in His sanctuary, praise Him in His mighty heavens, praise Him for His mighty deeds, praise Him according to His excellent greatness, praise Him with trumpet sound, praise Him with lute and harp, praise Him with tambourine and dance, praise Him with strings and pipe, praise Him with sounding cymbals, praise Him with loud clashing cymbals, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. However we express this praise, it seems to us that it should be, and by these commands it lets us know that it is to be the most natural thing for Christians to do. We are a praising people. We are to praise God. Indeed, it's one of the highest actions that we can undertake as God's people is to praise God. The Puritan pastor Thomas Watson sets the majesty of of the act of praising God wonderfully when he says this. He says, praising is one of the purest and highest acts of religion. In prayer, he says, we act like men. In praise, we act like angels. And here in Psalm 113, along with so many other psalms, And in fact, this phrase, hallelujah, 
occurs 23 times in the Old Testament, and the word for praise, the command to praise, is found over 160 times in the Old Testament. But here the act of praise is laid out to us as a command, as a reminder that we are to do that, that we are to praise the Lord. And the psalm begins with a call to praise, which occupies the first three verses of the psalm. He says, praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. I want you to notice with me in those few verses some specific things concerning this command, this call to praise the Lord this morning. And the first is that this praise is to come from all of God's people. The psalmist says that it is the servants of the Lord who are to praise the Lord. Are you a servant of the Lord this morning? If you are a Christian, you are. You are a servant of God. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, Paul says. We are servants of God, Christian. That is what defines us. We are bond slaves of God. But oh, what a sweet service it is. And what a good master we serve. Our servitude to God, our service to God is not oppressive. Not oppressive in the way that our servitude to the prince of this world and our service to the desires of our sinful nature was. Our servitude to God, in fact, even that word servitude doesn't really catch it because that has a a negative connotation, the idea of servitude. Service is better. Ministry is good. Jesus himself told us that his yoke is easy, that his burden is light. And all who call upon the name of the Lord are servants of the Lord. You this morning, Christian, are a servant of the Lord, and therefore you and I are each and all called to praise the Lord. The second thing that I want us to see there is that praise is to come from them, these servants of the Lord. That is, praise is to come from you sitting here this morning, always and from everywhere. Blessed be the name of the Lord, the psalmist says. And that has the same sense as praising him. Let him be praised is what it's saying even in that other uh, way of phrasing it when saying blessed be the name of the Lord. The command is to do that without any limits of time or space. Without any limit in regard to time, he says, from this time forth and forevermore. Let there not be a moment that God's people are not praising him. There is no time when it is inappropriate to praise God. It is what we will be doing, Christian, for eternity. So it is good for us to start now. The writer of Hebrews commands God's people to continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name 
Again, going back to what we were talking about, that, that praise is something that we do with our, our mouths and that it acknowledges and glorifies the name of our God. So it is to be done without limits in regard to time. And just as the, it has no limits there, it is also without limit in regard to location. Look at verse 3. He says, from the rising of the sun to its setting. Now we might think that that is a, a time um, statement, but it's really uh, a place statement, a location statement. From the rising of the sun to its setting, from that horizon to that horizon, from the east to the west, all over the world, wherever we are, at all times we are to be engaged in this offering of God or to God of praise, that fruit of our lips, ascribing glory and honor to God in praise. And I might add that it is also without limit in regard to situation. See, the psalmist doesn't say, praise the Lord unless you're having a bad day, unless you are going through some trial. We learn that as much in Scripture by example as by command. Think of Job, who suffered the loss of basically everything. And he continued to praise the Lord. The Lord gave, he said, and the Lord has taken away what? Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's Job, who certainly had it worse than I do. Certainly had it worse than you do. Think of Paul and Silas in shackles, in prison, singing songs of praise to God. Even throughout the Psalter, we have these, these psalms that are, that are known as lament psalms. Psalms that talk about, why, O oh Lord, have you left me? When it seems that God has left us. And sometimes it does. He hasn't, but it can seem like it. Even then, lament psalms almost inevitably end with praise to God. Why, O oh God, how long... When will you come? Then the lament psalm will turn and say, but I know that you are a God who remembers his people. Therefore, praise the Lord. That's what we should do. Without limit to time, without limit to space, without limit to situation. The third thing in in these opening three verses that I want us to see is that this praise is to be given to God. It is him that we are to praise. It is the name of the Lord, the psalmist says. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The name of the Lord is to be praised. Now does that mean, are we being taught by this, that we are to give praise to the bare name, the label of Yahweh? Well, obviously not. We've talked about it before how especially in the, 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 the Jewish concept of name is broader than ours is today. Our idea of a name is typically just what are we going to call someone? How are we going to refer to them? But to the Jews it meant much more. It was a statement of the nature of the person. And we are to praise the nature of God. We'll see that more in just a moment. 
but we are to praise God for who he is. And this leads us, this command, this very simple command, but very profound command, calls on us to praise the Lord, period. So that's the call to praise. But it leads us, because the psalmist doesn't end here, right? Having given to us the command, the call, he continues in this psalm. He takes us from the call to praise to give to us further a cause for praise, in fact, he gives us two, two major motivations to praise God. In verses 4 through 6, listen, he says that the Lord is high above, that is, he is exalted over all nations, and his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth, or literally there, who humbles himself to behold the heavens and the earth. Two things here that we learn from this. The first cause that we are given is to praise God for his greatness in himself. Just who he is. He is the Lord, the psalmist says. He is Yahweh. That word is used eight times in this psalm. Again, remember that that is God's covenant name. It is the name by which he was known particularly to his people. And it is this one whom we are to praise because it is him that we serve. He is the I am. He is the eternally existent one. He is the one who revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush and told Moses to remove his sandals because he was standing on holy ground. He is the one who has entered into covenant with his people, into covenant with us, and has graciously provided for us all of the, for all of the conditions of that covenant, and therefore gives to us, promises to us all of the blessings of that covenant. He is the one who is faithful to that covenant, and we're to praise him for that. We're to praise him for who he is. You know of the attributes of God. You've studied them, certainly. Maybe that's what we'll do on Thursday nights, study the attributes of God. But you know them, and pick any one. Take all of them together and praise Him for them. Praise Him that He is sufficient in Himself. Praise Him that He is without need of anything outside of Himself. Praise Him for His holiness. Praise Him for His goodness. Praise Him for His grace. Praise Him for His omniscience. For His his love. For His mercy. Pick, Pick any of those. They all point to the praiseworthiness of our God. And praise Him for those in your prayers. So good to begin our prayers with a a time of praise to God. Praise Him for who He is. We should praise Him because the text says that He is high above all nations. Think of the most glorious King that this world has ever produced the greatest prince or president or prime minister in the history of the world. Think of the the richest, the most lavishly um, treated. Think of the most powerful, the most influential. 
And know that the Lord your God is exalted far and away, in fact, infinitely above them. For you see, even the the greatest human king that has ever lived is just that, a human king, a creature. But our God is the creator. And as such, he is exalted over all of them. And over all of the nations that have been raised up. He is exalted over them because he created them. Whether nation or ruler, it owes its existence and its status to the Lord God that we worship, that we praise. It is he, Paul said, who made from one every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitations. He builds up. He establishes and he tears down. He removes according to his will. He is exalted above them all. Praise him for that, the psalmist says. And we should praise him not just because he's exalted above the nations, but even above the heavens. Look at verse 4. The Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Beloved, a contemplation of that thought should cause our hearts to soar and our mouths to be impossible to keep shut. To praise God, the heavens and the highest heaven cannot contain thee, the scripture says. The Psalms are are replete with references to the majesty of the God that we serve, the God that we praise. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name, the psalmist says. You have set your glory above the heavens. That's Psalm 8 1. Psalm 148, verse 13 says, Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His splendor is above the earth and the heavens. And in recognizing all of this, the psalmist asks this simple question Who is like the Lord our God? And since the answer is obviously no one, our response should be to praise the Lord. We also praise him because not only is he exalted above the nations, exalted not only above the heavens, not only is he over them in glory, but he's over them in authority. Verse 5 says, Who is like the Lord, who is seated on high, He is seated on high. His throne is above all of this. And the command to us this morning is to give praise to God because he is the one who sits enthroned on high. He is sovereign. He is enthroned as the great king above all kings and so infinitely worthy of your praise. God then is is worthy of the praise that we are commanded to give, first of all, because of who he is, because of those things that are true about him in his being, his exalted nature, because he is high and holy and sovereign and exalted above everything else, because he created everything else. But even as, as we are at the height of considering the exaltation of Yahweh, even as we are told that he is worthy of praise because he is exalted and because his glory is above all of these things, even above heaven itself, verse 6 then brings us 
to a contrast and brings us to the second main reason that God is to be praised this morning. Verse 6, in describing God, says, He who, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth, who raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. This is also part of the description of God, but it's demonstrated by what he does. And so we are to praise God for his graciousness to us, secondly. Specifically, in his humbling himself, in his stooping down to even consider what's below him. It says there in verse 6 that he looks far down. That literally means that he stoops down. And that is a wonder of of the work of God that this exalted king of the universe stoops down to consider the heavens and the earth. And that's the second thing that the psalmist sets before us, which gives to us a cause to praise our God. We've discussed that we do it for God's greatness in himself, but we also do it because of his graciousness to us. Though God's greatness, people, exceeds the world, and though his throne is exalted above all things, and although he has to stoop, so to speak, even to look at the heavens, so exalted is he that it is praiseworthy too, child of God, to know that you are not neglected by him. Job again tells us that God is mighty but does not despise any. And in this humbling, we see the condescension of God to help us. We can see here this cause to praise. And remember, that's the subject here in the second part of this message. We recognize that in first noticing that God condescends to consider the heavens. Because he's above the heavens. He condescends to consider them. That itself is a stooping by God. It is a gracious act of God. Because remember, the heavens are his creation also. The opening verse of Scripture tells us that God created the heavens as well as the earth. And again, not out of any lack of himself, but most freely. Therefore, his care of it, of the heavens, and of the inhabitants of those below it, is an act of God for which he should be praised. There's an old idiom that speaks of a man who was so tall that he could hunt geese with a rake. But God stoops down to consider the heavens. And that's not because of how tall he is, but from where he is sitting, but because of where he is sitting, on the throne over all. But closer to home for us, we see... By verse 6, that God humbles himself to look on or to consider the earth. As much as it is for him to condescend to consider the heavens, much more the earth and those who are on it, to visit the sons of men, to show regard for us. That, That is, it is a great condescension of God to take notice of what those on earth say and do so that he might fill the earth with his goodness. 
What is man, Psalm 8.4 says, that you're mindful of him. But even further, beloved, God sometimes gives us even more cause to praise him because of his dealing with those of particularly low esteem. God's concern for them. We talked about this on Thursday night at our Bible study. And that level of of graciousness or condescension is presented here by the psalmist by taking some words from an older portion of Scripture and including them here in this song. By taking words from, from a song of a person of humility, a simple person, a simple woman by the name of Hannah. Remember Hannah? From the opening of of 1 Samuel, a faithful woman, the wife of a faithful man. She was barren, and she prayed to God for a son, and she swore to God that that if God would give her a son, that she would dedicate him to the service of God. And God answered that prayer and gave her a son whom she named Samuel. And he became, well, several things. He became a judge and a priest and a prophet of God. And in 1 Samuel 2, the beginning of that story, and you don't have to turn there, the first 10 verses of 1 Samuel 2 are the record of Hannah's prayer to God, her, her praise to God for his answer for, to her prayer for a son. And in those verses, Hannah gives praise to the Lord for the same things that we're considering here this morning, for his greatness and for his grace. And she praises the Lord. There is none holy like the Lord, she says. There is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. And then when they come to verse 8 of 1 Samuel 2, this is particularly what gets picked up by the psalmist here. And included in this psalm in verse 7, it says, she said, that he raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. And the psalmist here then gives the context and the outcome of these verses in verse 9. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. God giving blessings to those who are in the most humble of situations, in the most destitute of situations. In verse 7, he says, He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. And that imagery is very sad and very stark. It's a picture of, of the deepest poverty, the deepest desertion, the deepest need. In Palestine and Syria, outside of a city, there would be a, a place called a mezbele, M-E-Z-B-E-L-E, if you're taking notes. The word means an ash heap, and which was also a dung heap. And the, the, the dung that would be put there, the things that would be put there, other things would be thrown on there, would be burned periodically. And the ashes would just be left there. And so we get the name, the ash heap, the mezbola. But the man who was shut out from the society would often find himself there. 
of his own accord. He would go there. He would lie there during the day very often, calling on those who would pass by for alms. And then by night, he would often hide himself, cover himself in those ashes that had been warmed by the sun during the day to keep him warm in the cold night. The King James translates this word dunghill. And that too is what it was. The people that found themselves there were the despised and the lowly and the destitute. They were the barren. And beloved, even those are not beyond the help, we learn, of our condescending, stooping, gracious God. Even these are not beyond the eye of the Lord. Just as Hannah, who, who had been barren, just as she was looked upon by, with favor by God the same way that Sarah earlier had been when God opened her womb and brought forth from it the son of promise to whom came the covenant blessings of God and God was praised when she declared, she who was barren has borne seven children. As the psalmist here in Psalm 113 says, he gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. God being gracious to the the worst of us, the least of us, reaching down to a woman and giving her a home full of children. This is the same God who lifted Rachel out of the same situation, from the same ash heap of barrenness and gave to her Joseph, who quite literally was, as our psalmist mentions here, seated with princes, with the princes of his people. In fact, he was one of the greatest princes of his people. And God was praised. And this God who is exalted above all things, this God who is transcendent, separate from his creation, this God is at the same time eminent. He is the God who does not forsake his people. He is the God who watches over his people. And he is praiseworthy because of this. He reaches down to those on this ash heap to give natural blessings to those who need it. Is there anything more praiseworthy than that? Ah, but that's the point. There is. Because God brings more than physical relief. His stooping is to a greater extent than even those that we've mentioned. And for a greater purpose. Yes, he is a God who is to be praised for humbling himself by looking to the poor and the needy in the physical realm. But he is a God who stoops in another way. He is a sovereign, holy, transcendent God who is at the same time with his people. He is God with us. We've seen portions of Psalm 113 uh, or in Psalm 113, the song of Hannah, when we read that God has lifted the humble. We've seen this first song of the Hallel, a song of praise. But it is in yet another song in Scripture where it is declared that God has reached down and remembered the humble. Some 500 years after this psalm was written, a young girl recites these words, that are recorded for us and that echo these same grand themes. It says, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. 
From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is His name. His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with His arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped His servant Israel remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants. Who are they? Well, when her baby is born, by the way, she will call his name Emmanuel, God with us. And beloved people of God, here's the most glorious, the most excellent reason to praise the Lord this morning and any morning. For here is the the ultimate condescension of God. Because here is God himself not just stooping to, to look on the heavens and the earth. Not just stooping to to help those who are on the earth who need help. But here is God himself, Jesus Christ, who being in the very nature of God, here is him making himself nothing. Here is him taking the very nature of a servant, Paul says, being made in the likeness of human flesh. Here is him coming. As we talked about the poor Did you recognize them? Do you recognize the one who is poor, the one who is needy, the one who lies on the ash heap, begging alms, seeking to be kept warm by dung and ashes? Do you see who the barren woman is? These are all the same person, the same person in such great need. They're all the same person. And you saw them in the mirror when you were getting ready to come here this morning. And you should recognize your voice in their cries because it's your cry. It's your voice. You are the one in need. Then, do you see the God of all the universe who in His greatness has shown grace to you? Do you see that the one who is exalted above all things has himself reached down to you and lifted you up from the dust? That he has condescended to lift you off of the ash heap on which you sat in order to set you with princes, to place you in the company of Hannah and Samuel and David. Paul says that our Lord Jesus Christ has seated you in the heavenly places. God has seen your low estate, Christian. And he has raised you up and seated you in the heavenly places in Christ. And how did he do that? He did it by himself becoming poor. By himself becoming the outcast, the leper the forsaken. The apostle says God made him who knew no sin to be sin 
for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He came and took your place on that ash heap that he may lift you up off of it and sit you, set you even in the heavenly places in Christ. And the application of all of this is very simple. We've, we've laid it out, the psalmist has laid it out in the most plain language. The psalmist ends this psalm the exact same way that he began it with a word of command. And that command is hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Recall, though, that this psalm is addressed to, and these wondrous truths are given for those who are servants of the Lord. And if that is you this morning, then praise the Lord. Praise Him for His greatness and praise Him for His grace. Sing praises to Yahweh forever. Let the name of the Lord be praised, for there is no one else who is worthy of it. And praise Him for that graciousness. Praise Him for your salvation. Praise Him for lifting you off of the ash heap and standing you on the solid ground of Mount Zion. Praise Him for all of these reasons and a million more. Lift your hearts, lift your hearts and your voices and your lives to the Lord. And praise the Lord. Praise, O servant of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. Praise the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we give you praise this morning. Weak praise short-sighted praise, not really understanding your greatness, but knowing what you've given us in your word, Lord, knowing that you are a great God, you are a transcendent God, you are the creator God, you are the sovereign God. We give you praise for that, O Lord, and we give you praise for the fact that you have come, you have come among us, among your people in, in your Son. And that you have done what was necessary to lift us off of that ash heap by taking our place. In order that we might be, sit in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Help us to be people who are people of praise. Help every time we pray, Father, for us to to begin by giving praise to you. And Lord, may our our lives be filled with that praise, for you are infinitely worthy of receiving it. And we ask all of this in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.